Welcome into the latest episode of Recruiting Down South, the Saturday Down South podcast. I'm your host, Michael Bratton. You can give me a follow on Twitter, at Michael W. Bratton, where I'm constantly tweeting about SEC football news, and this time of year, of course, recruiting news, with National Signing Day just around the corner. The latest episode of the podcast, we wanted to bring back Corey Long, the Saturday Down South recruiting expert, just kind of get his thoughts on the overall National Signing Day as we head into it. I wanted to ask him about official visits, why they're so important, particularly uh, as we get closer to signing day, if there's really a benefit to programs to land that final official visit. It seems oftentimes that uh, that's the key one that the coaching staffs are looking for. So we just kind of want to ask him why he thought that was. We've seen other coaches like Jeremy Pruitt take a different approach this year. We kind of go into that as well. So hope you enjoy our conversation with Corey Long. All right, the latest guest on the SDS Recruiting Down South podcast is Corey Long of Saturday Down South, formerly of ESPN Recruiting. Um, thanks again, Corey, for, for joining us. The last one was a big hit, so um, it's great to talk to you once again. Oh, it's great to be here. Great to be here. we got a... Uh... Yeah, we got about seventy-two out, about forty-eight hours before things uh things get a little crazy. So, well, not as crazy as they have in the past, but crazy enough. And now, how many of um, you know these elite prospects that aren't committed? There's there's about you know twelve to to fifteen that are really high-profile All-American type guys that are not committed and considering SEC schools. Uh, how? How uh, realistic is it that you think that a lot of these guys have not made up their mind at this point in the recruiting process? Uh, I'm sure by this point there's a general idea. I mean, I, if somebody says they're, you know, they're they're legitimately stuck between two schools or something like that, I could believe that. But I think for the most part they have an idea of what they're going to do on signing day. In many cases, they've had an idea for a while. You know, maybe they hadn't taken an official visit yet. That official visit solidified it. Uh, but, you know, I, I, you know, it's, uh, it, you never know until, you know, they, they, they put pen to paper. But I think most of them have had kind of an idea of what they're going to do. Some of these signing day, some of these signing day announcements were planned far ahead of time. They were planned because, you know, programs, you know, places like my old outfit, ESPN, they still need content on a signing day, even though, well over 80% of the uh, top prospects signed already. I mean, early signing that you still need. So need something to talk about. Some sort of uh, some sort of drama to sell, some sort of surprise. Yeah, with the, uh, obviously, the exciting Super Bowl we just got, with that, that over and done with, and the NFL drafts not for a while, um, we need some, some form of content to keep us going for at least another week. And that <laughs> a National Signing Day is perfect for that. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So one of the topics I wanted to ask you about is just, you know, obviously these recruits get five official visits and it just seems like every single uh, school that is, I don't know if you want to say favored, but, uh, you know, it seems like the coveted official visit is always the last one leading up to National Signing Day. Um, I just wanted to get your thoughts on on why that's so important in your opinion and uh, why it is that these schools... Uh, is it just just about getting in the last the you know the last visit the last word the last impression? Uh, why is it that these that these schools always try to get these guys to come in last before National Signing Day? 
Well, like you said, you get to make that final impression. You can figure out over the course of a, of a cycle where a prospect's been, what he's seen, what he likes, what he doesn't like, and you're able to gather up all that information and, in essence, try to put together the perfect visit for him that can appeal to everything he likes. Uh, um, it, you know, it's interesting. I, I think, you know, in some ways that last visit is coveted. In some ways, I think it's not a very big deal because I think by that point, the prospects are exhausted. And I think more times than not, those final visits can backfire. And it's not anything that the schools do in particular. It's just the prospects are exhausted. Uh, their parents are tired. Parents might not take the visit. Um, so, you know, there's definitely some down. There's definitely some, uh, you know, there, there, there could be some negatives to it. But the positives are, like you said, you get that final impression. You've been able to gather up all that intel of where else you visited. And, <clears throat> And use it to your advantage. Um, in many cases, that final weekend, you could bring up committed, uh, you know, previously committed, whether they're verbally committed or signed already, uh, prospects. You could bring them back in on officials, and they could help with the recruiting process. You know, it becomes kind of a, a family event sometimes that last uh, visiting, visit, visiting weekend. And not all schools use it like that. Some schools use that. As their as their as their first four four junior day, and their chance to really entertain a lot of unofficial prospects from the next two classes, and they use it like that. So it's you know not every school uses the same uh, techniques. They all have kind of a quote unquote big recruiting visit weekend sometime in the final four weeks, uh, where they try to get all of their top targets in together. Uh, but you know. Uh, you know, but yeah, that, that last weekend can definitely help with, you know, help 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 with trying to, you know, if you if you've got a if a if a prospect's leading to your program, you can help make up the line. If you're not, if you know, if you're if you're fighting with another school, you get that last word, and so you know we're about you know about to head to a dead time. So it's important to get that last word in sometimes to get the last real public official petition for a prospect to join your program. That's a lot of peas, I know. Uh, before, uh, you know, before before the dead period, before National Signing Day. Yeah, and it's interesting. You know, I don't know how, how you know, closely you followed Tennessee's recruiting in this latest cycle since uh, Jeremy Pruitt took over, but, you know, he kind of took the opposite approach. He had a lot of guys like Jacob Copeland, had him in early in December. I believe they had him in before the early signing period. Elijah Griffin, um, four-star corner out of California. That's another one that they hosted early. And it seemed like they really gained some momentum with those guys. But it's been so long. Those guys have taken other visits. Uh, Jacob Copeland especially, he just coming off that final visit to Florida. A lot of people expecting him to sign with the Gators. Yeah, uh, Jordan Young, I know, went to I know Jordan Young. Uh, I went to Florida State, if I'm not mistaken. So, mm-hmm. uh you know, guys doing our different things right now. Uh, yeah, and uh, I think, you know, for him, new coach. Um, he was a new coach, so he was trying to, you know, you don't really know what your strategy is going to be until you go through it. I think he felt like, you know, he wanted as many of the guys that he had recruited at Alabama that he considered to be targets 
to come right away to kind of see what Tennessee was all about. Let him know this is what he's going to do as a head coach. This was his plan. And, you know, anyone you can get those officials out of the way, then, you know, you take your in home. You got your phone calls. You got other you got other ways you can go about recruiting it continuously. But I understand that. I, I do. I, I think he was looking at a way that, hey, maybe I could pick up some early commits in my first few weeks there and, and then be able to build on that momentum. So I understand that, especially as a new coach. You know, you want to have a – I think you want to have a kind of a good, positive couple of weeks recruiting and take that momentum and build on it. And, you know, in some cases it worked for some uh, prospects. It didn't work for all. Like you said, you know, there's a lot of time in between that visit and, you know, visit six weeks later. So, you know, you get – you know, when you talk about dealing with 17, 18-year-olds, you get plenty of thoughts rolling through your head. Now, last time we spoke, one guy that you really spoke highly of, Patrick Sertan, quarter out, cornerback out of uh, South Florida, is one of the top overall prospects in the nation. A lot of people think he's going to go to LSU. I know Alabama's you know, been recruiting him for a long time. They even reportedly even interviewed his father for a position on that staff that he ultimately didn't get. Um, what, what are your thoughts on Patrick Sertan and, and where he winds up? Uh, it's, uh, you know, I really thought at the time when, uh, the news came out of, uh, Alabama interviewing his father for the DB's position that, you know, Alabama would be the place, but I think it's LSU. I think he has a, he has a very long-term visit with, uh, Corey, long-term relationship with Corey Raymond. Uh, I feel like that's going to be what carries him. Uh, obviously, you got some, you know, you got a Clemson visit in there, you got a Miami visit in there late. You, you really can't, uh, you really can't, you know, obviously the team went with Clemson in there, you really can't. You can't write them out of anything, but I think this is LSU's to lose. I'd be surprised if you went anywhere else other than the LSU Tigers. Yeah, and if he ends up signing with LSU, he would obviously be their highest rated recruit in this recruiting cycle so I mean that would be a huge huge signature for Ed Orgeron yeah absolutely absolutely and, that's a uh, for that class I mean that, yeah, they've got a pretty solid class but to have a have a centerpiece like that would you know definitely be uh, a game changer on the back end and especially at this later you wouldn't expect to be able to you know the top programs done so much early signing this year to be able to get a five star prospect late in the cycle on, on signing day will be a big deal, especially one that you've been battling, you know, several other top programs for. And then, you know, this is probably, in my opinion, the most interesting little factoid of National Signing Day, but the nation's number two ranked quarter, Tyson Campbell, is a teammate of Patrick Sertan Jr. So uh, I just can't, it, I can't fathom how hard it must have been for high school quarterbacks to throw the ball on them. Uh, what's your read on Tyson Campbell? Do you think he will go to Georgia, as a lot of people suspect, or is there any chance uh, Miami keeps him? Oh, uh, you know, Miami brought him in. They brought him in Pat at the same time. I mean, they seem to have a good time on their visits. I, I don't think either one of them end up in Miami. I think uh, I think Georgia's, Georgia's did a great job with Tyson up to this point, despite uh, – you know, a lot of other schools tried to jump in, and a, and a lot of programs tried to jump in. After some, once he, you know, he didn't sign on a early signing day, 
And, uh, you know, so I think the Bulldogs are going to hold on. I think Miami made a nice run. Run at him, I think he's a little... If one of the two were to not go to where we think they're going to go, I think Tyson's a little bit more of a, of a you know, a wild card than, than Pat Sertain. But uh, I think Tyson's going to end up in Georgia. And, uh, you know, yeah, they, they, they want to, American Heritage won another state title this year. I think that's three or four in a row. So they've been pretty tough for a while. All right, this next guy I was going to ask you about, I'm, I'm definitely going to butcher his name. So if he's listening, I'm, I apologize. But he's an offensive lineman out of Tampa. His name's Nicholas Petit Ferrer, I think is how you say that. And a lot yeah, of people... you're pretty close. <laughs> well, go go ahead and uh, can you say say his name correctly? <laughs> uh, I pronounce it Petit Frieri. I actually okay. pronounce the e uh, a little the, the e as a, a long e, but uh, I you know I, between the two of us, I think we're about there, so it's all right. Well, it just it sounds much better coming out of you, trust me. But, you know, a lot of people think he's headed to Florida. But from what I understand, his recruitment is really just it's a lot of a guessing game. Um, he, I don't think he gives a lot of interviews. Um, Alabama's no. after him, Notre Dame, Michigan, Ohio State. Do you have any kind of feel on, on where he'll end up on National Signing Day? Um, I You know, I generally, I think there's a lot of um, – you know, the, the buzz on Frieri is that, um, you know, the guy that handles his recruiting, recruitment, that, that's kind of been his uh, point person, is a, is, a, is a Florida grad. I think he's a Florida booster. So uh, that's what's generally tied him to Florida outside of location. He just took a visit to Ohio State, I know, Alabama. You know, I, I, you know, I think – I don't think he's going to go to Notre Dame. That's kind of where it is. Uh, I think Florida, Alabama, Ohio State are all kind of interesting to me. Uh, I, at the end of the day, is he going to go to Florida? It, it seems like that would be more of a that would be more of a likely thing, you know, which would give them the two really, which would give them the two best offensive line prospects in the state this year between him and Richard Goriage. But. Uh, We'll see. You know, uh, I think I think Florida is probably that's probably the lean as far as I'm concerned. But again, I, I heard different things out of this Ohio State visit. A lot of positive stuff. I you know, I heard Ohio State gave him a lot to think about. Uh, so you know, we'll see. He's going to make his. Uh, I think he's going to make uh, his, uh, his 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 announcement early. On signing day, I think it's going to be maybe the first, uh, maybe about between 10, 10, 30 a.m., something like that. So so we'll see exactly where it gets up. Well, speaking of Florida, another prospect that's trending to the Gators apparently is a receiver from Pensacola, Jacob Copeland. We touched on him a little bit earlier. I, I know he's a big Jeremy Pruitt guy. I think had Jeremy Pruitt stayed at Alabama, there's a good chance Copeland would have signed with the Tide. But, uh, I, you know, with the Gators – potentially landing Copeland as well, um, What if if you think that's accurate, uh, what do you think about the job Dan Mullen's doing with his first class at Florida? Uh, I think, you know, he's done a pretty decent job. I don't think necessarily any of these things were out of the ordinary in terms of, you know, I think Florida got, you know, a couple of breaks, a couple of nice transfers. Uh, like I said, I think they get the two 
top offensive line prospects in the Tampa area. And, you know, in, in many cases, you know, obviously Emory Jones was a very big deal. I think in, you know, many cases, it's a decent class. Um, a lot of the class was put in place for him. I mean, Nicholas Petit Ferrieri was lean, you know, was, was, was very interested in the Gators before he got there. Richard Goriars committed before he got there. Uh, Jacob Copeland was a Gator commit. So, you know, if I look at what did he bring in, he brought in Emory Jones, which is huge because they needed a quarterback. So, you know, after that, we'll see. You know, we'll see. Uh, I know uh, Justin Watkins is a recent commit. Now, you know, that's a good commit. I mean, it's he's been committed to about five or six places. So, you know, so uh, whoever, I think, he's, like I said, I think he's been to three high schools and five different programs where he's committed to. So, whoever nails him down, they'll, you know, we'll see what happens there. But, you know, it's definitely, you know, whether he, whether he is the, is the complete reason for the class or not, it's a very good place to start. Let's put it that way. It's a, you know, he comes in, you get a lot of nice young, uh, you know, young talent at the quarterback position at the wide receiver position where they need both at. So, mm-hmm. you know, I think, I think, you know, fans, uh, Expecting a uh, expecting a much improved offense, I have plenty of reason to expect that when you look at the weapons that they're bringing on that side of the ball. Yeah, but it's just kind of fascinating to look at at Jim McElwain's recruiting. You know, it may have not really been up to par the first two years. Final year, obviously, a lot of turmoil on the field, but that was his best recruiting class to date. So, yeah, you know, it, it's pretty bizarre like, how how that worked out. Yeah. Now, you know, with that being said, I don't know that, like, Watkins goes there if uh, McElwain's there. I know Emory Jones doesn't go there if McElwain's there. So, you know, there's a little giving, a little bit of tape on mm-hmm. both ends. But, yeah, it looked like it was going to be one of his best classes. But, you know, again, that, you know, it's, it was, there was obviously a lot more to that than uh, recruiting when it came to the, uh, the issues that, you know, that he had with that, with uh, the University of Florida and vice versa. One guy I really wanted to ask you about is Quay Walker. He's a linebacker from South Georgia. Um, his his recruitment is another one that's kind of all over the radar. It just depends on who who you ask. They Everyone has a different opinion on where he may go. He's technically still committed to Alabama, but his key recruiter, Derek Ansley, left for the Oakland Raiders. He's Tennessee feels confident. Georgia feels confident. I heard. I've heard for a while that Auburn feels confident, and I, I surely think it would be unwise to ever discount Alabama, especially for a defensive player. Do you have any feel for where Quay Walker might sign on Wednesday? Not a clue, other than you know, knowing he was committed to Georgia. I mean, to Alabama, did not sign with them. Mm-hmm. Uh, early, that that right there makes me think that he's not going to end up being part of that class. And I know he took his official visit there a few weeks ago. They're still interested. They're still recruiting him. But the fact that he didn't sign tells me that he was looking. He was he was looking for something something different. So if you tell me Tennessee Georgia, it's a Tennessee Georgia battle. I'm more likely to believe that than to think that he's going to stay with his Alabama. Excuse me, stay with his Alabama Yeah, now you bring up an interesting point. Do you think moving forward we're going to see more and more of this where, you know, 
if a guy is committed to a school and he doesn't sign during the early signing period, do you think that's that you know in future years that's that's a clear indication that they're they're not going to sign with that school? I mean, we just really as far as I'm as far as I'm concerned, that means they're not committed to that school. Mm-hmm. They're they're open. Yeah, that's 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 what I would take out of it. You know, and I think in 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 this case it was uh, you know, I think in this case Jeremy Pruitt had a lot to do with that. I think Clay was really interested in playing for Pruitt. Pruitt leaves. Uh, you know, you're waiting to figure out a D, a D coordinator position there. And, you know, oh, and I, I, and I just, I think, you know, that, that, that makes, that played a lot into his commitment. So, whereas other people signed early, you know, obviously the school's pressure to sign early. He wanted to uh, wait and see, uh, you know, wait and see what Pruitt was going to do, where he was going to land and, and visit him in Tennessee. And, you know, and that that's left it kind of where it is. So I wouldn't consider him an Alabama commit right now. He was committed to Alabama. He did not sign. He's an open prospect. Alabama's still in play, as is Georgia, as is Tennessee, as is Auburn. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's one of the things that I'm really going to be curious about next recruiting cycle. Um, it, it surprised me that so many elite prospects signed early. I guess, you know, if you really know where you want to go, it makes sense, but making a decision during that early signing period, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. I know, I think we saw plenty of guys, like you mentioned, Jordan Young. Uh, another another guy that comes to mind is Eddie Smith. He was a He's a cornerback from Louisiana who he was committed to TCU, didn't sign during the early period, and then Tennessee and Alabama start going after him. All of a sudden, he's a four-star prospect, and you know, he's got all he's got all these great SEC schools after him. So it makes sense to me that um, you know, with all these guys going early through the early signing period, I think a lot more attention can be given to the guys that haven't signed. So I'm just real curious to see how many uh, you know, if if once again seventy to eighty percent of people sign early, I don't think that's gonna be the case next year. Uh you know, it was first year. I don't know if this is a trend or if it. I think I think for the most part, I I I kind of agree with the people that said we've just seen a total change in the trend of the way these uh of the ways of the way recruiting is. I think early day, early signing day is going to be the primary signing day because it's hard to catch up as as Jimbo Fisher's finding out at Texas A and M. It's hard to catch up. You know, in certain places, especially in a state like Texas, where a lot of kids commit early and a lot of kids signed early, you know, and, and, and you know, he, he came into a situation where he didn't have a lot of in-state product to work with. There wasn't a lot of, uh, you know, there wasn't a lot out there for him to recruit. And the unfortunate part with him is that... um. Kids from Florida don't like to go to Texas schools in general. It's not mm-hmm. a big, you know, there's not a lot of Florida prospects. That, so he couldn't bring up his relationships in Florida with them. And, you know, he had to, you know, he's had to be creative. And I know, you know, I, I know there's a lot of disappointment out there in College Station. But frankly, he came in this situation so far behind the eight ball. that there wasn't a whole lot he could do. Uh, so whatever he salvages, I would consider this a minor victory. And, and getting back to your point, though, yeah, I feel like 
the early signing day is going to be the signing day until, until something changes. And maybe we'll have an even earlier signing day. Maybe we'll have something that will happen in June, you know, when there, when there's another one. And then, you know, that, that takes a little steam away from, uh, you know, what happens in August before the uh, high school football season starts. And that'll take a little steam away from the, the pre-Christmas signing day. And, you know, kids will move around. And, and I think, and you know we'll also we'll also see how a lot of other things going. We know we'll if coaches make switches after Christmas. You know will prospects get released? You know there's a lot of little things that can happen. Mm-hmm. A lot of little things that can happen that could change. And we you got to figure this out still. This isn't a perfect plan. I, I think for the most part, early signing day did what it was intended to do. But you know, do I expect you know do I expect it to be this? Uh, Fail safe every year? No, not, not in college football, man. You know that as well as I do. Nothing in college football uh, is, is 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 above is above blowing up at some point or another. You know. And you make a really good good uh, point on Texas A and M. I did want to ask you about them because I would imagine there is a bit of a freak out when you when you look at the recruiting rankings and Texas A and M is behind schools like Mississippi State and Ole Miss at this point. Um, now, of course, things can obviously change with National Signing Day, but um, it, it looks like Jimbo Fisher is actually, you know, rec- putting forth a lot of effort on the 2019 class. They got, yeah. three, they got three 2019 commitments in the last week, so they're already starting to stack up. I think he may have more 2019 than 2018 commits uh, at Texas A&M to this point, so it wouldn't really surprise me. If Texas A&M next year is there battling with a Georgia and an Alabama, uh, do, do you think it's uh, possible that they make that big of a jump next next year? Yeah, I can definitely see you know you know you know motivated Jimbo Fish on the recruiting trail and definitely get A&M around the top ten uh, in terms of recruiting classes. It just mm-hmm. wasn't in the cards this year. Too many kids in Texas commit. The top prospects in Texas commit very early, very early. Mm-hmm. And it's just it's just the way it is. It's what I've seen at the University of Texas, and it's what he walked into. I mean, you can't walk into a job in December and expect to flip kids that have been committed to other places for, you know, nine, ten months. It's not going to happen. So, uh, you know, he, he's got to look at this, get what he can get out of this class. But, yeah, he's focused on 2019. I mean, uh, the University of Texas, their class has been sold up for weeks. Mm-hmm. So, you know, he was, he was even behind on 2019, to be honest with you. Uh, but, you know, he's done, he's done a pretty good job of catching up there. So, yeah, I mean, they're going to have to, and it turns out to look at this class as a wash. Hopefully the, the players that they get will turn out to be, you know, good program guys and contributors. But you're not going to get the numbers, and the ratings are not going to look good. And that's just that's just because... You know, he couldn't bring a lot of what he was doing at Florida State with him to Texas. Florida kids aren't going to Texas schools. It just, just doesn't happen. And the Texas prospects commit way too early. So by the time he got there and he looks at what was out, looks at what was out the scene, all the big big targets, they're already all committed. And they're not interested in speaking anymore. They're, you know, one thing I know is about like a Texas commit, kids that go to UT, for example, they commit to the school very early. They might commit, you know, like, you know, like around this time for the, their following class. And they just mm-hmm. go back and visit the school every single week. You know, they're there all the time. Mm-hmm. They're basically there a year ahead of time. So, 
you know, you don't get a lot of chances for them to come go anywhere else. They're not taking other visits. They're not, they're not entertaining other uh, recruiting pitches. So, you know, I, I, I'm hoping he do that when he got there. I'm not sure if he did or didn't, but I'm, I, you know, Jeff Wolfish is not stupid. I think he knew that this class was going to be a wash. Yeah, and it's also interesting to note. I mean, I don't think anyone can argue that Texas A&M could have got a, a better or more accomplished coach than Jimbo Fisher, but even he probably had to he has to learn the dynamics of that state because it is so unique. I don't know if, if you saw this when he first got on the scene there in College Station, but uh, I believe it was his first day, you know, he went to see one of the more renowned Texas high school coaches and that same day he went and saw the most renowned seven-on-seven in-state Texas coach, and that created a big uproar because apparently, you know, there's a big there's a big uh, tear between seven-on-seven and high school, and and even little things like that, which may seem insignificant to people outside that state, uh, that's something that uh, you know that that's definitely got to be a got to be you know a touchy subject for Jimbo Fisher moving forward, but. You know he has to appease both those both of those uh, coaches because um, if he's going to be competing with Texas, he's got to annually you know not only be looking at the high school level but obviously the seven on seven because that's kind of the way the sport's going. Well, here's the thing: Texas high school coaches have a lot of power in that state. If they don't like you, you ain't got a shot. Mm-hmm. So, and if they you know, and, and they're 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 very big on you know the guys that have uh, that have that have that have climbed the ranks through the Texas high school to get to college. That's why Art Bryles. You know, people would wonder how did Art Bryles get all these great class, all these great players at Baylor, and Charlie Strong can get him in Texas. Well, the, the Texas, you know, Art Bryles is one of them. He was a Texas high school coach. Coaches would hold players. They would hold players, and they would they would hide them. They would shield. You know that. You know, you know when 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 an outsider like you know quote unquote Charlie Strong an outsider you know a guy that didn't really grow up there would come and see their kids they'd show them this one this one and this one and not show them three others that they were protecting for their guy you know the guys that they knew they had these long term relationships I think it should help out Chad Morris quite a bit at Arkansas long term because he's got those relationships with Texas coaches so so Jimbo's got a you know, it, it's it's a much different dynamic than Florida. Uh, he's got to really figure out a way to please the Texas coaches. They're a, they're a nitpicky, funny group. They, you know, if you remember last year's story, they they convinced a bunch of the the state coaches to say, "Oh, we're not going to recruit an IMG," which I think is absolutely ridiculous and stupid. But you know, they had to do that because you know the Texas high school coaches don't like IMG Academy. And, oh, God, you know, and God forbid, you know, if you recruit IMG Academy, you can't look at our kids. And, you know, it's a it's a lot of politics, a lot of junk. And uh, I, I've known Jimbo, you know, I've had a chance to have a couple, you know, hang out with him a couple of uh, not, you know, off-the-field personal settings. You know, there's, there's some great stories. You know, when he first came to Florida, said he was the OC, and uh, they were – they were, you know, Florida State was shut out of a couple of schools because of uh, some issues with some old Bowden staffers. And I know Jimbo went down to Glade Central one year and got in a coach's face because they didn't make Deontay Thompson uh, available. You know, he was he's a kid that signed with Florida. And, you know, one of the staffers goes down there trying to 
do an in, you know do a school visit with him, and uh, he's getting a run around. And someone went down here and pretty much raised you know raised hell more or less. And that you know so and that's more that's what he's comfortable doing. You know you're not going to tell Jimbo Fisher he can't see a prospect. Mm-hmm. So it's going to be interesting to see how he. How his relationship skills change here, whereas you know in Florida you're going to get respect for jumping for raising Allen, jumping in the coach's face. In Texas, you might get blackballed. So it's uh you know so it's interesting, all interesting to see. Now I don't know if you've heard any of these uh, reports, but uh, you know Nick Saban I think has kind of looked around the SEC landscape. I would imagine that he's I don't know if upsets the right word, but just kind of notice that I think they've lost several battles to Georgia in the recruiting this during this cycle. And while there's still plenty of time for 2019, it, they've even kind of lost a step to 2019 Georgia's class there. So um, Nick Saban's kind of overhauled his staff because as is almost an annual event in Tuscaloosa, yeah. you know, his assistants get promoted. So he's got to bring in new guys, but a lot of the guys he's brought in are real young. They're they're noted recruiters. Um, what are your thoughts on on Nick Saban and kind of the moves he's made on his coaching staff in, with an eye towards recruiting? Well, yeah, I think he's. A, I think you know Nick Saban saw saw what we all saw this year. Uh, you know, and I and I've said it before. I, I give you all the credit in the world to to Alabama for having the heart and the resolve to come back in that game, but, you know, you're watching that game like I am, and you're, you're seeing the, the the shift. You're seeing the shift change. You're seeing the, the balance of power change. And I know Georgia didn't win, but I still felt like after that game, I'm like, you know, I hadn't seen Alabama get beat up like they were for a, for a couple of quarters. And then you start looking at the personnel. Where was the Heisman Trophy candidate at running back this year? There was no Derrick Henry. There was no Trent Richardson. There was no Mark Ingram. There wasn't even a you know a Matt Coffey out there. You know mm-hmm. they were they were obviously these kids were talented, but you know they weren't producing. Then you look at you know where the superstar offensive linemen at. They weren't what they used to be. Same thing on the defensive end. Got some great defensive players. Obviously, Fitzpatrick is going to be a you know top ten, top five NFL draft pick. But you know, it's not what it used to be. And I think you know he sees that as well. And I think you know they had to, they did some smoke and mirrors. They want a few, you know they 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 had some very good you know very good schemes. And you know they won a few games based on the fact that. You know, teams are still deathly afraid of Alabama. Teams still don't, much like the New England Patriots, as we saw yesterday in the Super Bowl. But you know, you have once when you get them down, you have to keep them down. And uh, you know, and there's a lot of that at Alabama. So I think, but you know, I think you know, as as coaches leave, Jeremy Pruitt, a, a charismatic recruiter, not scared of anything, thinks that he belongs on this stage. He's going to take shots at Alabama. He's going to battle him. He's going to go straight up on him. You know Kirby's not scared of Alabama. You know he's not worried. Dan Mullen's a guy that, you know, he got, he got kicked around a lot for his recruitment at Mississippi State. Some of it was justified, a lot of it wasn't. But now he knows he's got to step up his game, you know. There's guys, you know, there's a lot of guys out there that see little openings for him. You know, Jimbo's in this spot now in the SEC West. He's a, you know, once he gets his footing, he's going to be tough. Uh, you know, LSU's always going to be tough with the in-state prospects. So, you know, I think if you're Nick Saban, you're looking and you're seeing that, 
you know, this this stranglehold you used to have on the region and getting these guys in, and, you know, that, that the windows to Georgia are closing quickly. And Alabama can't be successful without having success in Georgia. And the windows to Florida are closing, are not going to be, you know, Willie Taggart's a hell of a recruiter. I mean, you get, you, you saw the coaches, the coaches, the, the list of coaches you got there. Mullen, Taggart, Charlie Strong, Mark Rick, Wayne Kiffin, mm-hmm. Butch Davis. You know, these are guys that get players. They have a history of getting players. I think, you know, Saban's lucky. Everybody's lucky that Scott Frost has moved on, you know, in a way, because, you know, he actually was starting to get top prospects in the state of Florida to come visit UCF. So it's just gotten harder. It's not as easy as it was for him. So he has to make changes. Uh, I don't think he's nervous, but I think he's smart. He realizes that the free ride is over. So do you do you have any doubts that they that Alabama will jump into you know I think right now they're ranked like number six in the nation but which is which is kind of absurd after coming off to so many number one classes but um, I, I expect them to kind of close strong and jump that gap to maybe top two or top three class uh, do do you have any doubt that'll happen this year for Nick Saban and his staff? Let's look here. You know, I have the team rankings right on my screen. Uh I think they'll jump ahead of Miami. I think they'll get to five. They might jump ahead of Penn State and get to four. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't see them getting to Texas, Georgia, or Ohio State, which is which is the general top three. I, I don't see them getting there. And uh, it doesn't mean they have a bad class. You're the fourth ranked class in the nation. You can win with that class, you know? <laughs> you know, it's, you know so, as I always tell people, tell me the difference between the fourth best class and the third or the second. There is no difference, really. You know, there's a player here and there, but it's no, there's no difference between four. And between one and five, the differences are minimal. Mm-hmm. They'll get back, you know. So, you know, he's going to have players. He's going to have players. But, you know, we got to you know, you gotta look at, you know, it's it's a little different now. It's, it's not as easy as it was. And I, I think, you know, he starts seeing, you know, he's got former assistants surrounding him, all trying to take down the king all having an idea of what the king does, all, all, all not afraid to go battling against them. You know, it, it, you know, you know, I always feel like, you know, I know Nick Saban and Bill Belichick are close friends. I never feel like Belichick teaches his assistants everything he knows. He teaches them everything they know, but not everything he knows. <laughs> Nick might have taught, you know, you know, Kirby's smart on around with Nick for a long time. You know, he got a lot of intel from him that maybe Nick should have been giving out. So <laughs> that's what's happening. I think he's getting beat by his own game. He's wondering how the heck that happened. All right, final question for you before I let you go. Uh, just off the top of your head, is there anything hitting in the National Signing Day that uh, you know that you're most looking forward to, or you most have your eye on? Uh a really stiff glass of whiskey when the day is over. <laughs> and and uh, what what time will that be for Corey Long? Uh, that'll probably be about nine p.m. Okay, I was hope I was I was kind of hoping you said nine a.m., but it, it's good to know that you're being responsible. With <laughs> yeah. It. Hey, if it's at nine a.m., then everybody can check out Tampa Television by seven p.m. because it'll be way more entertaining than they <laughs> <laughs> thought otherwise. All right, uh, Corey, thank you again. This is great stuff. So I just wanted to really say thanks for joining us. And uh, 
I hope you had as as good a time as I did. Always enjoy talking to you, Michael. You take care. All right. See you, Corey. Take care, buddy. All right. That was a great conversation with uh, Corey Long. You can follow him on Twitter, at Corey Long, C-O-R-E-Y-L-O-N-G. He's a great follow there on Twitter, so you know, give him a follow for, for joining us. And, uh, you know, a lot of good good conversation there with National Signing Day. It's really interesting to see how things shake out. Obviously, you know, the vast majority of prospects have either signed or committed already, but there's still going to be a lot of drama with the remaining 30 to 20% of uncommitted prospects out there. Uh, I, th- I think it's going to be a really fun National Signing Day. You know, hopefully we get some kind of unexpected uh a parent running off with a letter of intent or <laughs> a parent refusing to sign. I mean, that that always adds a little uh, level of intrigue to National Signing Day, and this one will be no different. Uh, so definitely be tuning in to ESPN for all the National Signing Day coverage and you know, follow us on Saturday Down South. Uh, we'll be writing about all each and every commit from the SEC. So uh, looking forward to that. And that's going to do it for this episode. I just want to finish on my closing thoughts. As always, don't tweet recruits.